You're going to be turning to 1 John, the first letter of John, near the end of your Bibles. I don't know where it is in the, your electronic Bibles, but it's there too. It's great to be together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed. Uh, uh, Gary took part of my uh, introduction, and Alex said some things that I had written down. It's almost as if they read my, my notes. Um, and I'm just thankful for both of them and the things that they shared and, uh, with us um, in our singing and our taking of the Lord's Supper together. You know, last night, Julie and I drove up to um, Tennessee. We were having dinner with the Riggins. And uh, as we drove up there, we were noticing all the way up there and back also, sign after sign after sign, especially as you pass church buildings, about Easter, Easter Sunday and um, he is risen and so on. And I, and I was actually encouraged as I read those signs and went through. And it's just a reminder after reminder after reminder of what is on people's minds, the resurrection of Jesus. And so on the way back, as we're being reinforced with those signs coming back, Julie said, are, are you going to say anything about Easter? And um, my basic response is, yes, every Sunday. You know, every Sunday is, is Easter, and that's really what Gary was saying. You know, the date of Easter is, is accurate from what I, I, I've read. This is about the time of, uh, this is the time of the Jewish Passover. We know from reading the Bible that Jesus was crucified uh, that week, uh, pa- Passover week. And so we gather together celebrating the resurrection, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. Not only this particular Sunday, but each Sunday, and not only each Sunday, but it has to affect our lives. It has to be, uh, the resurrection should be a part of our daily living. Uh, I want a life that reflects Jesus and Him crucified and Him resurrected tomorrow morning. You know, when I wake up tomorrow... And, it, and it, there's a difficulty, you know, when we come back, when we come together, we are encouraging each other, reminding one another. When we come together Wednesdays and we have our Bible studies, when we're meeting with one another in our homes and in restaurants, it's a reminder of who we are in Christ. And I want to be and, and strive to be a person who has in the forefront of their mind Jesus Christ, Him crucified. You know, it's so easy to turn our focus to other things, many other things, except for Christ. Uh, the New Testament, much of the New Testament, is calling us away from what is calling us away from Christ. I, I, did you get that? I, it's actually saying, you have been called away from the world, but the world is calling you back. And so, the, the Scriptures are calling us back to be in that relationship, the, the frame of mind that we're supposed to be in. I believe that God has called, called us to be Christ-centric people. People whose lives are focused on Christ, that's centered around Christ. Not only as a group of people when we gather together, but as individuals. And it's so easy to stray from that. Um, it's easy for us to become a church-focused people. It's easier to be church-focused than Christ-focused uh, we focus about what we do here in this building when we gather together and, we, and we, we talk about things that we do here and it can lead us away from being Christ-focused. We can be a success-focused organization. What is success? You can define it any way you want to. 
Define that and then that's your focus. That's where you're leading to. That's how you measure whether you're doing well or not. Are we successful? However you define that success. And it can lead you away from Christ. We can be a church that has great knowledge. People who study the scriptures and have great knowledge and understand the Bible and adhere to the scriptures and yet at the same time move away from Christ. That's what the Pharisees, Pharisees did. Jesus said, you search the scriptures diligently. And they did. They knew the scriptures. And the very scriptures they studied and learned and memorized, they actually moved them away from, from Christ. All at the same time as we focus on these things, different things, we can be moving away from what Christ has called us to be. A life and a church focused in Jesus Christ. Last week I shared the scripture. We know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's such a simple statement, but it's not simplistic. We are to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That little statement excludes... Everything that needs to be excluded in our lives. And it includes everything that needs to be included. It includes the life of Christ. It includes his character, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It includes every personal and practical application to that. What does that mean? And when we start applying that to our lives, knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, there's a personal and a group application to that. Our problem, and this is what I shared also last week, is we know more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We don't know it, nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We know more than Christ and Him crucified. And what I mean by that is, is, is this. It's like we, we say, I know that Jesus said not to worry. But, and whatever we put after that is what we know more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If we focus on Jesus Christ and him crucified, the application, part of that application is do not worry. And yet we worry and we're concerned and we're everything else that the scripture calls us away from. We put back into our lives and we just say, if you only knew what I know, then you would be worried, fretful, angry, whatever you want to add to Because you know more, and I know more, than Christ and Him crucified. And so Paul brings us back to that and says, that's the focus. And when you know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, then those excuses and sins will will fall away. 1 John, I believe, is going to help us get a better grasp on the practical ways that we can apply this, this thought. Knowing Christ Jesus and Him crucified. I challenged you or asked you last week to read 1 John. How did that go? I'm not going to put you on a guilt trip if you didn't read it, okay? All right? I just asked you to read it. it, it 20 minutes of, of your time to, to read uh, 1 John. But those of you who did, I, I know you, if you read it thoughtfully, as you read it, you, you saw some high, what I'll call high water statements. It's like, Man, that's, that's a wonderful thing. I can't believe that, that this is what we've been given in Christ. And yet, if you're like me, you probably, probably read some passages that, that made you scratch your head. Maybe become a, a little bit um, confused. Maybe even de- de- uh, distressed and say, what, what in the world does that, does that mean? But the bottom line of this, and I'm going to ask you to read it again this week. The bottom line of 1 John is 
Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So as you read it, try to focus your mind as what is this telling me about Jesus? We'll see the direction our lives should take. We'll see the direction we should take, at least for those who have placed their faith in him. It's written to believers. It's it's reminding believers to think and live the way Jesus thought and the way Jesus lived. Now, as we enter this book, this is a, I shouldn't say book, this letter. There is a threefold purpose that he gives us. Three times John is going to say this. I write this. Because And he tells you a reason. And so we're going to see his purpose. And so we should expect this as we uh, look through 1 John. If you look at 1 John, we're going to read those three real quickly. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. He says this. I write, we write this, to make our joy complete. That's the first. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And then in chapter 5, verse 13... He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We're going to talk about those three, that threefold purpose that he gives us. When you go to the Gospel of John, it's confusing. We have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John. When we go to the Gospel of John, he actually uh, gives us those three purposes. He talks about those three purposes. He points to the source of joy in the gospel. He introduces the way which, in which we overcome sin. And he also talks about eternal life. So as you go to the gospel, 21 chapters, uh, the fourth uh, gospel that we have, he, uh, he, he talks about all three of these things. You can say that this gospel, the gospel of John, is about salvation. The gospel of John is about salvation. It's pointing people to the way of salvation. And when we talk about salvation, we can spend a lot of time there. For those of you who were here in December, do you remember the four points of salvation, the four points of the cross? The, the four, and it defines salvation? Yes. All right. Justification, reconciliation, redemption, and that big word, propitiation. We looked at that as different angles of what, when we say, oh, I'm saved, all we generally think of is um, I was going to hell and now I'm going to heaven. That's part of salvation. But it's much more than that. All right? It's eternal life. It's so much more than that. And so the Gospel of John introduces and points us to uh, salvation. This first letter talks about, here's a big word, sanctification. What's sanctification? It's a biblical word. But it means simply maturing in Christ. Becoming more like Jesus. In other words, part of our salvation wasn't just so that we won't go to hell, that we can go to heaven. But part of that salvation is so that we can become like him. That's the sanctification process. And so John writes his letter now saying, it's not enough just to be saved and then you're waiting for heaven. What you want is a sanctification process, a maturing process, where you are becoming who God created you to become. In fact, in this new creation, you are actually that... And now you're going to become that. that. That sounds confusing. But he created you in your new birth, new. You are a new creation. And now you put that newness into practice. All right. So that's, that's the, the, the difference in these two letters. 
John chapter 20, the gospel of John chapter 20 says this. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote that whole gospel saying, I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to see him. I want you to examine him. Because I came to the conclusion in my life, John says, I came to the conclusion that he is God in the flesh. And that by believing in him, you'll have life eternal. That was the purpose. And then for those of us who have come to that point and said, yes, I believe that. First John has written to us and he says, now that you believe that he is the son of God and that you have life eternal, this is how you're going to live. This is what it means. Here's some application to it. He takes us into a deeper walk with God in this little letter. He says, now that you have been given joy, what do you do with it? How do you grow in joy? Now that your sins have been washed away, how do you maintain purity? How do you avoid sin? Now that you have been saved, how can a person have the confidence and the assurance of their salvation? And so he gives these statements of purposes. And these three statements, and I know some of you didn't see the word because, because it wasn't in there. But in, in, in those three verses, chapter 1, verse 4, 2, 1, and 5, 13, there's a little word that's called a particle. And that little word tells you the purpose of. And I'm not going to go into it at all. But in, in, um, in, our, in my translation that I just read, it's not translated in verse 4. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says two. And then in chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 13, it says, so that. And all three of those means, I write this, and we could add in there, because it's in, in the original language. I write this, so that, or because, or in order to, I write this in order that your joy may be complete. I'm writing this so that you will not sin. And so each of these is that statement of, of purpose. These are our goals. And so as we read through John, as we study John, I'm trying to find out what is he saying about joy? What is he saying about avoiding sin? What is he saying about the confidence that I have as I stand before God? You know, this is what we struggle with. I know it's warm in here. Or is it just me with my sweat on? Let's wake up for a minute. We struggle with this. All right. If, you're, if you are a visitor and you're not a believer or you're questioning, I want you to know that we Christians struggle with these three things. We're not going to pretend that we're something we're not. We struggle with all three of these things. I ask the question, where is the joyful Christian? Where is the joyful Christian? The truly joyful Christian is so rare that when I ask that question, you probably thought of one or two people. Maybe one, maybe two people. If you reacted to that question, well, just look around you. They're all over the place. Look at them. They're, they're all the joyful Christians here. You're, you're probably more insightful and it's, you're probably a minority. But when I ask, where's the joyful Christian? Most say, well, well I can think of a joyful Christian. But if I ask this question, where's the angry Christian? The frustrated one, the worried one, the flustered Christian? Where's the depressed Christian, the gossiping Christian? Are they more in common than the joyful ones? I'm just asking the question, okay? I'm not even trying to insinuate. Well, maybe I am. <laughs> I'm not trying to try to insinuate. But what I'm trying to do is say, let's look at this honestly. 
Are we known as joyful people? It's little wonder that outsiders often use the, the excuse of not following Christ based on the seeming joylessness of the Christian life. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they say, well, one of the reasons I'm, I'm not is because of that person, the hypocrites, okay, the hypocrites in church or the lack of joy. Are we known as people who overcome sin, have victory over sin, or do outsiders don't see much of a difference between our ethics and their ethics? Do they see us compromising and capitulating to sin? Or do they see us overcoming it? Just asking the question. Who excels in confidence and assurance as they face death? Are we known as people who will face death with assurance and confidence? Asking the question. John says he's writing this to you who believe. So there will be such a clear contrast between you and the outsiders that they'll see a difference in these three areas of your life. Let's look at them briefly uh, with each other. We're going to go into depth later. Joy. Take a look at this joy. We write this to make our joy complete. I'm not going to go into the details. Some of you have translations that says your joy and some says our joy. I think it means all of our joy. Well, I'm writing this so that all of our, my joy and your joy will both be complete. And as, as I stated before, part of our cultural thinking believes that the Christian is, life is anything but joy. It's a boring life. It's deplete of fun and good times. It's just, I don't know why anyone would become a Christian, except that you, you know, are afraid of dying. Uh, talking about traveling over to the Riggins house last night. We were sitting around the table, we were eating, and have no idea how this came. You know, I was thinking about how did this conversation come up, but we came up, we started talking about a song that we all mutually um, disagree with the lyrics. Billy Joel's song, uh, Only the Good Die Young. All right, I know, some of you don't have any, have no clue. <laughs> if I sang it, you'd say, oh yeah, I've heard that one before, 1977. But in, in that song, there's an interesting phrase, there's an interesting line that he, he says. He says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And it's just the, the cultural way of going through life. And he says, yeah, you know, yeah, the Christian over there, the Christians over there, they don't have any fun. And the good die young. And so I'm not going to die young. I'm going to have a good time in my life. And I'd rather have a good time with the sinners and be over here moaning and groaning with you saints. How did he come up with that line? Because he looked around his culture and that's what he saw. He saw people who were having fun were not followers of Christ. And the people who were followers of Christ were no fun at all. We, and why? I asked the question to me, why? Do I display the joy of Christ? Do I display the joy of Christ or, or, or am I seen as just... Killjoy, who doesn't know what that means. John is stating, what John is stating, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that your joy will be complete. You know what that word means, complete? It actually means to, so that you'll be filled to the full. It means that what is lacking will be put in you. Because... He recognizes that Christians already have joy. It's been given to you through His Spirit. 
But there's something that you're lacking in doing to display that joy. So it says, I write this so that your joy will be complete. Now, when you read this again, try to read this the way John said it, not the way preachers say it. All right. Because we read it, and I'm going to read it later on. We read it in kind of a monotone type, type of voice. We write this to you to make our joy complete. And that's really the way we read it. It's so boring. But the way he must say it, you, the way you can't say this any other way if you're really saying it, is I'm writing this so that your joy will be complete. And he's excited about this. He wants you to be filled with something that you're lacking. And so he's excited about the joy that, that he's going to be sharing with you, how to make it complete. Then we come to the second thing, sinless living, chapter 2, verse 1. I write this so that you will not sin. This is one of those statements. I, I read this and I go, I, what? I mean, that's, that's maybe you're, you have no problem with that statement. But when I read that, I write this so that you will not sin. It's just an incredible statement. Doesn't everyone sin? Don't we often use the, ex the expression, well, no one's perfect. when We're making an excuse for our sins, right? And some of you may have even used that this week or this year sometime. Well, no one's perfect. And when you're saying that, you're, not excuse you're either excusing someone else's sin or you're excusing your own sin. No one's perfect. And yet John clearly makes this one of his purposes. This is one of the reasons I'm writing to you. I love this clock. It's sideways. All right. Okay. <laughs> thought I'd look at the clock once at least. All right. He, he says, this is one of my purposes. There's a sharp distinction and a clear distinction between darkness and light as you read through the book of John. He does not paint a picture of being in the gray. In my mind, I'm often in the gray. Are you in the gray? Or, or am I the only one that ever does that? I'm living a life, and yeah, I'm, this is something I'm just kind of struggling with, and I know it's wrong, and I know, know it, I shouldn't be doing this, but God forgives me. He understands, so I'm in the gray. But John draws a line. He says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. Where's the excuse? You're either living in darkness, he says, or you're living in the light. He just, he draws a line there. And it makes me uncomfortable. I'm kind of sitting there. I wish you'd be, give us a little bit of latitude here. I wish you'd say, oh, well, you're just kind of moving through, you know, the darkness to the light. And, you know, but he says, no, light, darkness. And so I listen to what John says. And I, there's a little bit of a um, question in my mind when he says, we are to live sinlessly. Where's the Christian that doesn't sin? Again, to ask the question is to answer. We all sin. What are you talking about? It's an impossibility. And yet there's something in what he tells us that helps us in our struggle against sin. And if you think about this, if sin is something we can never master, if sin is something that we're just, I, I, can't, I, I can't help myself for the rest of my life, then we're just in the same position as the rest of the world. The only thing we can say is maybe uh, I'm saved while I'm sinning, while a non-Christian is not saved while he's sinning. But I can't help myself. There's nothing I can do about it. But John says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. Assurance. 
5, verse 13. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will know that you have eternal life. Asking that question again, where's the confident Christian? Are we known as people who are confident of their salvation? We here at, at, at this body here, this family here. You know, in the past, there has been, when debates were popular, there were a lot of debates which were basically to sum it up against a teaching, a teaching that can be stated this way. Once saved, always saved. And for lack of a better term, our side in this discussion was trying to prove that biblically a Christian could leave the Lord and be lost. All right? The opposing side was saying, no, no, no. Once you're a Christian, once you're saved, you'll always be saved. You, can't, you cannot be lost. And they'll go, go to the passages that tried to prove that. But here's the result. Whether, which side of that argument you're on, here's the, res, the, the result. As we argued that people who come to Christ can make the decision to leave Christ, we placed in people's minds a, a question of their personal salvation. Am I saved? And so the, what I made up, instead of once saved, always saved, we are people who believed once saved, barely saved. You know? I mean, yeah, we're saved, but I don't know, you know? Barely. Just, you know, how close to the cliff are you walking? That type of thing. And so we walk through life and someone comes to you and says, So, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? And our answer is, what? You know it. I, I hope so. I hope so. Where's the confidence in that? Isn't that appealing to a person outside of Christ? If you, if you ask that question and you say, so, are you, gonna, you think you're going to go to heaven? You know, well, I, I don't want to say. You know, I'm not really sure. Well, I want to follow what you're following. That's, that's a good thing. No, the confidence, if someone said to you, if you died right now, what would happen to you? I would be in heaven with God. I would I'd be in the hands of Jesus in confidence. And yet we, we struggle with that. Jesus, uh, John said this, I wrote this so that you may know that you have eternal life. Confidently say, I can go to heaven. There, to be, I've been with some people, and it's, it's, a, it's truly a joy and an inspiration to be with someone who is facing death in confidence. I've been with some Christians facing death, and they're not confident. And yet I've been with some, a few, who are, who are moments, days, that we, we're not, never sure exactly how close to death they are. And they're confident in that. And that, tell, that, that just increases my confidence and, and my joy and my determination to live as Christ wants me to live. First John says this, basically, overall, we will see Jesus when we look at First John. And this is the key to fulfilling all three of these. To the degree that you see Jesus will be to the degree that you grow in joy. Are you lacking joy? If you're lacking joy, it's probably because you're not seeing Jesus as you should. To the degree that you love Him, the love of the world will pale in comparison. 
I mean, think about this. To the degree that we love... My problem in sin is I love my sin more than I love Him. That's that's bottom line. I love doing what I want to do rather than what He wants me to do. And so to the degree that I learn to love Him will be the degree that I learn to avoid sin. And to the degree that we know Him will be to the degree that we'll have assurance and confidence before God. As I was writing this and thinking about this lesson, a lot of your faces came up. I, I know a lot of you who have joy in the Lord, true joy in the Lord. I know a lot of you who have overcome the evil one, who have overcome sin in their lives, who have put behind them certain things that, that had mastered them at one time in their life. We can name you. I know some of you who, who, have, who have last year looked at the face of death and didn't know if you would be alive or dead. And you were confident in front of the, in front of the Lord. But I know as we look at ourselves, each of us looks at ourselves, we can see where we're lacking. Because you can see, you can see in your side, inside yourself. You can see where you're lacking in joy. You can see where you're lacking in your struggle against sin. You can see where you're lacking in your assurance and confidence as you stand before God. And so this week, here's my challenge to you. Examine yourself. As you read through 1 John, I'm going to ask you to read it again this, this week. As you read through 1 John, ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself, where am I lacking in the joy of the Lord? Am I lacking in the joy of the Lord or, or am I overflowing it? If you're overflowing it, good. Share it with others. If it's a struggle with sin, as you read this, try and find out what is John telling me to do? In my struggle against sin? Or what is John telling me in my confidence as I stand before God? I hope and I know that if we open up our Bibles and study John, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be motivated. We're going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. And so I want to encourage us as we, uh, as we study this book that we will take it seriously, that we will... Uh, well, I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy this uh, book at the same time.